This podcast is sponsored by OAG. With the world's largest network of air travel data, OAG provides the most comprehensive, accurate flight schedule and flight status information from one trusted source. Explore our industry-leading data for airlines at oag.com. The other shoe has finally dropped. Air Berlin, who's been mentioned on this podcast many times in a rather unflattering light, announced a massive restructuring last week. Seth, how big of a deal is this? Uh, really big. There you go, folks. That's our show where you get expert commentary such as really big. Seriously, we're going to look at how the changes at Air Berlin affect the airline business in Germany and Europe, for that matter. And that wasn't the only huge development among German airlines last week. We'll also talk about Lufthansa's big news. Really big. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the usually more loquacious Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. In addition to the giant German shakeup, we'll also talk about Air Canada's continued quest for global domination, Delta's move to dominate Boston, and IEG and Qatar Airways are tying up. It's all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's talk about this in two parts. We'll start with the Air Berlin business and then talk about Lufthansa's announcement. So Air Berlin has been a troubled, troubled airline for a while now, and thus last week they made some serious changes. Air Berlin is slashing its fleet from 136 planes to just 75, and with that they plan to focus on higher yield traffic from Dusseldorf and Berlin, and that includes a lot of long-haul international flying. Seth, can they shrink their way to profitability? And in the end, what will this new version of Air Berlin look like, and will it work? That's a lot of questions for Jason. Uh, but yeah, yes, the most important one first, uh, if, whether they can shrink their way to profitability. Well, I mean, they're getting rid of the very worst parts of their business, at least by all appearances. Um, you know, that non-hub short-haul flying is is really hard in Europe, uh, unless you have the very lowest costs, you know. So Ryanair makes plenty of money doing that sort of thing. Uh, you know, EasyJet, uh, Voiling, other LCCs uh, do fine with it, but uh, Air Berlin just, just hasn't had the cost structure to, uh, to compete. So, um, uh, you know, short haul that feeds its long haul network, at least, you know, even if the flight itself isn't always fully allocated profitable, you get those, those network effects. Whereas, uh, you know, the non-hub short haul, I mean, the flight's got to make money. If it's not making money, you know, get rid of it. And that's, uh, uh what they seem to be doing here. Um, uh, you asked what Air Berlin would look like. Um, it, well, it's going to look a lot smaller for, for one thing, assuming this all uh, does indeed go forward pending regulatory approval and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's, you know, basically it, it's, it's going to be a, uh, you know, it's an airline with two hubs, uh, Berlin and Dusseldorf, uh, a little short haul flights from those hubs feeding its, ever-growing network of, of long-haul flights, uh, primarily to North America. Uh, you know, now that long-haul business, I mean, for a long time, looked to be the the, the, the craziest part of what it was doing. Uh, but it, it's been saved to a large degree by cheap fuel. I mean, look, 
when you have an airline putting up the kinds of negative margins that Air Berlin is putting up, the point is that nothing's working all that well. Okay, and, and so so you know the question of whether this will uh, save it uh, is is exactly that a question. Uh, still very much to be determined, but um, yeah, the the they are getting rid of the most hopeless part of what they do, uh, and, and that in turn will will give them some hope. And then what happens to the planes? I read in Airline Weekly, thirty five will be going into a separate entity. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, we, you know, we said in Airline Weekly, it, it's kind of like when the um, after the banking crisis, uh, you know, related to the global financial crisis, when you had. Uh, you know, these banks with uh, uh, sort of these these hopeless assets, uh, the bad mortgages and so forth, and um, you know, in some cases the uh, I'm talking Royal Bank of Scotland and so forth. Uh, you had governments uh, you know, sort of being a part of creating what were called bad banks. I mean, you know, just just the separate entity uh, where everybody knew the assets were toxic, but at least it got it away from the thing that was uh, at least somewhat viable. And, you know, there were people put in charge, essentially, of, uh, of you know, winding down the bad bank. Uh, how, how would you like that job, right? Um, CEO of the bad bank. Well, uh, you know, they're basically creating a bad airline. And I guess uh, if it's as hopeless as we think it is, then you know, maybe instead of wasting any money on, on branding, just just call it bad airline, right? When some people probably fly it just just for that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, and so um, the these planes are going to be doing uh, a lot of what a lot of what they're currently doing, which is the non-hub flying, the leisure-oriented flying. Uh, there will be a separate executive team. Um, but that's probably not the end of the story. You know, this likely ends up as some sort of venture with somebody else, you know, whether it actually gets spun off to somebody else. Um, you've got report, uh, reports out there of TUI, that's, you know, T-U-I if you're, if you're reading it. Uh, um, you know, TUI perhaps, it's German unit, it's called TUI Fly, uh, uh, maybe being in some kind of an alliance with um with this airline, uh, which, by the way, is also going to include uh, the Austrian subsidiary Nikki, which is, is uh, you know now rather well integrated into Air Berlin, but an airline that it bought um, uh, not too long ago. And, and airline, I think a lot of people don't think a lot about, but you know it's twenty A three twenty family jets it flies, so it's uh, not not a not a tiny carrier. Uh, so that too will be uh, a part of the bad airline. And then there are forty Airbus narrowbodies. What happens to those? Yeah, well, those are going to go to, again, you know, assuming this all goes forward, to Air Berlin's Tsar Trifle Lufthansa. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know. I mean, look, it, it, it's, uh, you know, Air Berlin needs to do something. Um, and Lufthansa has for a long time really had to be competing against what, you know, it kind of sees as irrational capacity. Um, and so it'll be happy to see its rival shrink, even if it has to be, a, you know, even if it has to do some of the dirty work. So yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, so, so they're going to go to Lufthansa, kind of a mix of, um, uh, when I say go to Lufthansa, uh, it, it's not just going to hand these jets to Lufthansa. In, in many cases, it's basically going to be a wet lease, uh, where, 
Air Berlin leases the planes and crews um, to Lufthansa. So Lufthansa takes the commercial risk. You know, it decides what to do with the planes. It's, it schedules them and sells the tickets and all that sort of thing. You know, it's sort of like if you picture a a, a regional airline, uh, well, especially in the U.S., but you know, they also exist in, in Europe and elsewhere, where uh, you know the mainline carrier takes the commercial risk and then it just kind of flies under contract. So, um, so, so that's what's going to be uh, happening with um, with most of these uh but you know you, you have a few that'll be flying for austrian rather than lufthansa uh a couple will be dry leased where lufthansa crews will actually be flying the plane so uh uh but yeah basically you're gonna have uh, a couple score of air berlin planes flying under the flag of uh lufthansa so <laughs> really uh this is all i mean i'm saying all this like you know, matter of factly but it it would have all seemed rather surreal if uh, if anybody would have told you that this is how uh, the movie was going to, well, not end, but at least perhaps uh, climax for Air Berlin, if anybody had said that uh, a couple of years ago. It's a sordid tale. <laughs> uh, I will come back to Air Berlin, but uh, here is where, and this was a big story because it, it was just far reaching. Hey, you, you made fun of me for, 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 for that kind of analysis a few minutes ago. Right. Um, but here is where Lufthansa takes center stage. Uh, the other major development last week is the German airline, which owns 45% of Brussels Airlines, announced that it will be acquiring the other 55% of Brussels Airlines. Yeah, big news, although not at all surprising news. Uh, you know, this was an option that the Lufthansa acquired years ago when it, when it took its ownership up to, uh, as you said, 45% previously. Um, so, uh, you know, it had the option to do this and it had a deadline coming up, uh, to exercise that option. Uh, and, and so, you know, it was just kind of now or never. Um, and, uh, you know, even though there, there's a lot, there are a lot of reasons to be nervous about Brussels airlines. I mean, that asset is not worth what it was, uh, you know, frankly, a year ago, ever since the, uh, um, you know, the bombings and so forth. I mean, Brussels is one place in particular that still suffers very much um, from a, a, a uh, I don't want to say a permanent decline of inbound demand, but certainly a, a long term one, something that, that uh, uh, you know, even people who from abroad who are willing to travel perhaps elsewhere in Europe, uh, uh, even people who are not among the most fearful, as some of them are avoiding Brussels. Um, and, you know, it's an airline that was exposed to uh, a lot of the issues in Africa, you know, from falling commodity prices and so forth. Um, it, uh, uh, for, for a long time, benefited from having that very strong African network. But uh, over the past couple of years, that's, that's been kind of a mixed blessing and so forth. Having said all that, uh, Lufthansa is sort of facing this uh, just kind of yes or no, thumbs up, thumbs down. Are you going to do it or not? Uh, clearly concluded, and again, not a huge surprise. I mean, it had had indicated this this was likely that it would rather have Brussels Airlines uh, fully within its fold uh, rather than that kind of awkward status before, where it was um, uh, you know an, an important contributor to the company, but not not fully uh, a part of or controlled by the company. Uh, the, a little more precisely, by the way, Brussels Airlines going to be a part of that Eurowings, uh, kind of under that umbrella. Now, it's still going to be branded Brussels Airlines and, and all that, but, um, you know, Lufthansa are trying to put it onto that platform, kind of a, a, obviously a lower cost platform. Uh, so just, just managed in more of a, uh, 
a, a cost focused and uh and flexible way so uh so yeah lufthansa group um uh just got bigger uh Frankly, this makes our lives a little bit easier because from an analysis standpoint, it's been kind of a tricky airline here for a year. You know, is it a part of the Tunza Group or not? You know, for a long time, it wasn't a part of the transatlantic joint venture, for example, although it now is even pr- prior to this news. Uh, so now there's no uh, no more that, you know, sort of trying to decide which which category it goes into it, it, it it's uh very much a, a part of the lufthansa group uh, just like uh, austrian swiss obviously lufthansa itself uh, not to mention Eurowings. in lounge episode number 39 you and i spent a lot of time talking about how Eurowings was a rather risky endeavor is lufthansa doubling down on a risky enterprise well i guess the simplest answer has to be yeah right i mean it's you know it's it's, it's expanding the thing um but it, it, you know, if you're going to be in this business, and then that, that, that's certainly a, uh, that's certainly a question worthy of its own episode, which is which is why we did that. Um, but if you're going to be doing this, I, I mean, um, uh, you know, look, this this gives them more scale, and it, it takes out a lot of competing capacity, uh, and and that is useful. I mean, Lufthansa. Uh, has been a big believer in consolidation in in, in uh, the European airline industry, uh, and, and you can question some of their ways of, of of trying to get to a more consolidated industry. You know, question whether they've they've just you know paid too much uh, for for some of what they've done. Um, you know, whether you know dealing with all the pilot strikes uh, was worth it. In the pursuit of growing Eurowings, you know, not knowing if Eurowings itself is necessarily going to be successful and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, Lufthansa is right that a more consolidated industry would be helpful for for it uh, yeah, as well as for other airlines. I mean, that that's that's indisputable. Um, and so here, yeah, I mean, you, you manage to grow Eurowings, which at least gives you more scale and uh, shrink a very nettlesome competitor. Um, you, you know, a, a competitor that's been obviously supported by um, by by a by a foreign airline benefactor by 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 Etihad, um, and uh, you know th- this is um, this is that part of it at least is very helpful um, for Lufthansa and then uh, as I said other other airlines uh, you know, in terms of Brussels Airlines being onto the Eurowings platform I mean you know, that that that's um that on the surface at least seems sensible enough it, it's uh, you know if you're, if you're if you're going to buy Brussels Airlines then uh, um, you know it, it, it makes sense to uh, um, at least try to you know although it'll have its own you know labor deals and all the rest of it to at least put it in uh, um, into the what should be the lower cost platform as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, having it be more closely related to uh, the, the German branded Lufthansa mainline airline. Realistically, could antitrust regulators derail either of these plans, either the Air Berlin deal or the Brussels Airlines deal? You know, hard to imagine uh, they would derail the Brussels Airlines deal. Um, you know, although, of course, there are all kinds of arcane uh, uh legal issues involved in in any of this um of, of, of which i don't pretend to be an expert on, on all of them but um you know the air berlin one is is, is interesting and ryanair for one um threw a fit and, and said that it, it it should be uh turned down i mean you can imagine ryanair thinking are you kidding me um you know we you know, being ryanair weren't allowed to mer- merge with Aer Lingus, and and yet this is going to be permitted which um 
you know, uh, I mean, look, it, it, Ryanair, uh, you know, being at LCC, the, there, there was little reason to think that, you know, if it got control of Aer Lingus, that, you know, it was going to try to jack up fares and all that sort of thing. Here, you know, here you have um, an airline that's, uh, you know, at least broadly speaking, sort of an LCC um, going landing in the arms of, of a uh, of a legacy airline. Uh, and, yeah, it'll be within the, you know, the, a lot of what's happening will be within the, uh, the Eurowing scope and so forth. But, um, uh, you know, with what I said a few minutes ago, uh, you know, Lufthansa happy to see some competition go away. I mean, you can certainly envision people making uh, making uh, the argument that this is anti-competitive. Now, the difference here is that Air Berlin can very credibly argue, and Lufthansa can very credibly argue um, that Air Berlin's going to go away one way or the other. I mean, just 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 look at the uh, at the results, uh, and that. This is a much more orderly way to shrink Air Berlin, uh, that it's the way that's better for consumers than an airline just suddenly disappearing, uh, better for workers than their employee just suddenly disappearing, even though, to be clear, they're going to be job losses. But, you know, so that that argument does tend to reg- resonate with uh, with regulators. You know, Ryanair and Aer Lingus, at least for most of the time, Aer Lingus had its, its moments where it was troubled, but at least for most of the time, they couldn't credibly say, if you don't let us merge, an airline's going to die. Whereas in this case, and to be clear, they're not merging, but, you know, the, the, you know transferring a lot of what they do uh, over to uh, the, the, over to Lufthansa, you know, they, they can say that. You know, and um, there was, uh, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, years back when U.S. Airways and America West were were planning to merge. And Doug Parker, who was the head of U.S. Airways, was called be in front of Congress um, to be grilled about uh, the, these plans. And they were going to be laying off some workers uh, if the merger went through. Um, but U.S. Airways was, um, was on its deathbed. Uh, and if this deal didn't go through, then, uh, uh, then U.S. Airways was almost certainly going to die. And so um, Parker, and I'm just looking here in my notes – to find the quote because it was in our Delta book, a uh, little bit of a shameless plug there, although in, unintentionally. So here I found it. Um, so uh, yeah, so 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 when a congressman asked him about the this proposed elimination of five thousand jobs, and Parker said, "What I think is happening here is we're saving thirty-seven thousand jobs, not eliminating five thousand jobs," and and so. That here too with Air Berlin, um, you know, you're saving the majority of the jobs, uh, which which would all be at risk if the airline more suddenly liquidated. So um, I, I think that that argument is going to carry a lot of um, a lot of weight uh, with regulators. Uh, although certainly there will be those making the argument that uh, that exactly what the European industry needs is for. A sizable airline to go away, uh, rather than to to just sort of die this slow death. Always back to the Delta book, <laughs> the Bible of the industry. It's 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 glory lost and found. How Delta climbed from despair to dominance in the post nine eleven era. For anybody who hasn't read it, not that there's anybody out there who hasn't who who hasn't yet read the book, but if they are, uh, anybody who isn't anybody, right. <laughs> 
Glory, glory lost and found and found and found again. Let's see. Here's the uh, Barbara Walters question of the day. Uh, <laughs> Where did Air Berlin go wrong? And are there any lessons to be learned there? Yeah, uh, you know, complexity. I mean, it's 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 uh, complexity, ambition. Um, look, I want to be clear. We said before that at this moment, the long long haul, you know, seemingly isn't the worst part of the business. But that's not to say it's ever made very much money uh, with with its with its long haul network. Um, so yeah, it, it went out and bought a long haul carrier. I mean, this goes back a decade. It was LTU as the airliner Berlin bought that to to sort of uh, establish itself as a long haul player, um, and just kind of tried to be everything to everybody. Uh, and Jason, you know, around the world, a lot of airlines have 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 told that story. Uh, airlines that are that have neither the lowest costs um, nor the most comprehensive uh, networks. Uh, you know, they say, "Well, look, you know, we're the best of all worlds." You know, some airlines are just low cost, some airlines are just high revenue. You know, we have lowish costs, uh, but highish revenues. You know, put it together, and you're going to have outsized profits. And and it's a story that that sounds good. Um, but that, uh, that, that rarely actually works. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't worked from that for them, just like it, you know, didn't work for, you know, Virgin Australia and a lot of other airlines. Uh, I mean, different story there, but, um, same broad concept, uh, just, just sort of trying to be everything to everybody, uh, and ending up being nothing, uh, from an investment standpoint. Um, so yeah, if, if they had, just focused on uh, just trying to hammer down their unit costs and just be a European LCC. I mean, it's tricky because they that it's not as if they started as a clean sheet airline with with you know with the lowest cost to begin with. They they actually have a long history. So in that regard, tougher than let's say it was for EasyJet, which just sort of started as as uh, as that kind of company. But uh, but look, Ryanair started as something somewhat different from what it is today, and, and figured it out. So, uh, you know, hard to say if for sure they could have made it in a crowded industry. But yeah, they they probably, uh, in terms of what more could they have done, uh, probably they should have done less. All right, with that, we'll leave the German airspace. I know we just talked about Air Canada a few episodes ago. But they're at it again with more intercontinental growth. And, well, it continues to fascinate me. They announced six new routes last week, including Mumbai, Berlin, Algiers, Marseille, Nagoya, and Taipei. They, uh, let's see, how do I put this question? There are a lot of forces at play here. Tell me about those. Yeah, wow. That Those are... Uh... It's it's quite a network they're putting together. Uh, really, I mean, we're talking about this. This is becoming um, one of the biggest long haul airlines in the world. You know, d- depending on how you measure it. Uh, you know, for an airline that's not among the very biggest airlines in the world by uh, by by other measures. But uh, you know, even though obviously it's sizable. Um, but yeah, just uh, some of those uh, uh, you know, secondary tertiary cities. Um, from three different hubs, um, you know, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. Sure enough, uh, of those six that you mentioned, I mean, they're doing them two from each of those hubs. And uh, yeah, you know, it's look, it's it's um, uh, first of all, they have the aircraft for it. Uh, th- that is a, 
I mean, you cannot overstate the importance of that. Um, you know, they stopped flying to India uh, oh, about a decade ago uh, because they didn't have the right planes. I mean, they had planes that could reach India. They were A340-500, uh, but they couldn't do it economically. You know, now they have Dreamliners and, and uh, you know, these, these are just they're planes that have the right economics, the right capacity. You know, you don't have to fill that many seats. Um, so, you know, it, it, it starts with that. Um, they have these three distinct hubs that can be used for, um, you know, for, 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 for different purposes in terms of, you know, Montreal, uh, just it, it's, it's natural uh, connections with the French speaking world. So you get a, a decent amount of local demand. You have people actually flying from Montreal to those places. And of course, it's always people, you know, you, you need a certain number of people on that airplane who, who, who do value the nonstop service uh, because they're going to pay you revenue, revenue premiums for that. And then, uh, you know, the rest of it, you're, you're backfilling with Connect. Um, and they've just got a great geographic position for connecting uh, North America with the world. You, you know, right now the, uh, the the weak Canadian dollar, been rather weak over the past uh, a year or two here, actually makes Canada cost competitive. Uh, you know, in terms of selling tickets to people in the U.S. Uh, who, who want to connect in in Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver to get to. Uh, to uh, Europe or Asia, and uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, and 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 apparently it's working. You know, I mean, you mentioned Mumbai. Uh, well, look, they uh, started flying to Delhi not that long ago, and, and you can only take it as a good sign that that's working reasonably well uh, when you see them uh, launching Mumbai. They do, by the way, Jason. They 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 benefit from the fact that um, Gulf carriers uh have have very limited rights in Canada uh so so those routes to India for example i mean look the, broadly speaking they compete against gulf carriers because you know um they're in the marketplace but yeah they, that's more viable for them than it is for uh, you know, say U.S. carriers where you just have, the, the, you know, a huge amount of Gulf service uh, competing for some of the same uh, traffic flows. Speaking of those Dreamliners, just 10 days ago, we passed the five-year anniversary for the, the first 787 delivery to Al Nippon. Seth, you're a keen follower of the airline industry, or so I hear. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of the 787's impact on the industry? How would you characterize the story so far? Oh, it's it's been transformational. Um, it's really done what it was supposed to do. Uh, you know, some of those routes that that uh, we mentioned. And to be clear, not all of those routes, Jason, are, are, are Dreamliner routes that you mentioned. But um, yeah, it, it's um, it's this is what it was supposed to do. It, you know, provide a not too big aircraft that can fly a very long way uh, and, and do it economically. Uh, so yeah, there, there are quite a few markets in the world that exist, uh, only because of that aircraft. Um, you know, when you fly, see, you know, United Airlines flying to, you know, Chengdu and Xi'an and these places, uh, from San Francisco and, and the, many of those Air Canada routes and so many others around the world. I mean, that's to mention, I mentioned China just now that, the routes from some of the Chinese carriers themselves uh, are even more head head turners. Um, yeah, so 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 this was the idea, and um, and it's it's uh, it's working. Um, now we'll see going forward. Here, you know, there's a lot of questions, obviously, about global aircraft markets and and uh, uh, and so forth. But um, but yeah, at least uh, so far, um, you'd have to say Boeing got it right. 
you know, Airbus kind of bet, uh, you know, cast its lot with the A380 and uh, Boeing, although, you know, not an exact apples to apples comparison, you know, basically cast its lot with the 787 uh, and, and Boeing, frankly, uh, in making that bet was, was right. We discussed in this week's Airline Weekly Delta's increased interest in Boston. In fact, by next summer, Delta plans to increase capacity there by 22%. How nervous should JetBlue be? Well, I mean, it's not helpful, right? I mean, um, you know, so I mean, I guess the case for optimism from JetBlue's standpoint is um, look at what's happened in Seattle. I mean, I mean, Delta has uh, has has uh, you know just gone to war against Alaska Airlines there, um, and Alaska's doing fine. Um, you know, really surprisingly well in the face of of everything that Delta has done there. So it's possible to withstand an onslaught like this, uh, and and. and you know, by the way, we don't know if it's going to build up Boston to the point that it's done in Seattle. There's no indication of that yet. But yeah, you know, on the other hand, you know, Alaska's starting point was, uh, I mean, by some measures, the most profitable airline in the world. You know, or certainly among the uh, among the most profitable when you look at its uh, its margins. Whereas that's not the case for JetBlue. Uh, JetBlue is, you know. Uh, perfectly sustainable, profitable airline, but it's not among the most profitable in the world. Um, so. You know, it's you know. However, not vulnerable Alaska was. JetBlue is 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 a bit more vulnerable. But uh, look, Boston is uh, is a really really interesting market. I mean, it you know it just has as great geography for connections between uh, between North America and Europe. Cranky Flyer, by the way, did did a good piece on that recently. Go go look up uh, Brett Snyder's blog if you haven't gotten a chance. He he, he did a did a real nice job explaining that um it's you know it's a terrible domestic u.s hub but it's 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 a fantastic transatlantic hub JetBlue knows that and for JetBlue, it's going to be able to fly narrow bodies you know a321 neo long range the lrs to europe you know and 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 when it does that it's and i say when but it seems more a question of when than if you know that's going to be a threat to Delta and others because they're going to compete for some of the same transatlantic traffic. You know, you you can fly from a lot of places in the U.S. connecting in Boston to uh, to Europe, and so um, you know Delta probably because they're worried about that. Uh, probably partly because they're not happy about uh, JetBlue's moves on Atlanta. Um, is is uh, has, has decided to focus some growth on Boston. So yeah, an interesting question, which. Yeah. Never know the answer will be uh, would be you know whether JetBlue saw this coming uh, or not uh, you know it, to whatever extent Atlanta uh, you know provoked this you know was was that worth it you know was uh, was Atlanta important enough but uh, that notwithstanding yes, is uh, a lot of new capacity in Boston great, great news for consumers there <laughs> less so for the airline. All right, last item of the day. IAG, the parent company of British Airways, Iberia, Whaling, and Aer Lingus, is partnering with Qatar Airways. They already had a relationship. Is this a big deal? Well, it, it, yeah. Look, it's it's um uh, partly replaces what they had. Uh, I mean, in a very different way with with uh, Qantas way back. You know, so so they had a joint venture with Qantas. Qantas uh, left uh, for Everett. And so now here's here's IAG um, partnering with uh, yeah with with its part owner Qatar Airways. Um, so you know they were they well, of course were already One World Alliance partners, uh, but more than that because of, of the uh, uh, of the uh, common shareholding of the equity 
uh, the fact that uh, Qatar owns part of IAG. And yeah, this this um, this gives them the ability to jointly plan uh, routes, jointly set fares, and do all the other things that you can do within a joint venture. Uh, and, and it gives BA a, uh, I say BA, IAG, but you know more British Airways than uh, than than any other part of the company, um, a, a way to at not very high risk, get exposure to some markets that, uh, you know, when you're not a part of a venture like that, you either have to fly to a market on your own or, you know, concede the business to somebody else, you know, even if it's an alliance partner. Uh, whereas within, when you're within a JV, uh, you can, you can let somebody else uh, fly it more, more efficiently. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it's, uh, look, this is not, I mean, to be clear, this is not uh, as important for, for uh, IAG as it's, JV with American Airlines, um, or you know, or for that matter, probably uh, Japan Airlines. But um, but yeah, no, it'll it'll be uh, it'll be useful. And should we expect more of this from IAG? They're they're working on one with Latam, of course. Yeah, well, um, I mean, at some point you just sort of run out of white spaces in the world. They're, you know, they, they are filling in the gaps. So if you just kind of picture geographically, um, uh, you know. They've got North America uh, with with, uh, with American. They've got, uh, as I mentioned, N- Northeast Asia with Jal. Uh, now, sort of one that helps with Southeast Asia and Australasia with Qatar. Um, uh, by the way, Finnair are part of, of, of a couple of those. The uh, the uh, North American and Asian ones, um, and you just mentioned it, Latam. So you know, uh, it's it's. I mean, they don't have one to. Sub-Saharan Africa, but you know, there's not not really anybody obvious, uh, uh, particularly among One World airlines that uh, that they could have one with, and and you know, it's just there's sort of less traffic there for them, even though uh, you know, certainly an important market. But um, yeah, so so I I I think the answer is uh, no, we shouldn't expect more of this, uh, not because it's not working well, but just because uh, you know, th- this fills in one of the last gaps for them. IAG may be running out of white space, but we are running out of time. That concludes the 58th episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. We'll be back next week with another 30 minutes or so of insightful, entertaining ramblings, all with the aim of trying to answer that age-old question, how does one make money in the airline industry? For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Have a great week. I was thinking our podcast should form a JV with somebody. Yeah, it would be nice to share somebody's revenues. Right, but what would we share with them?